Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show today. It is turning out to be a beautiful day in Florida. I know the folks in the Northeast are ready for a foot of snow, and who the heck knows what's going on with the weather or anything, but what I do know is I have a fantastic guest for you again today that was supposed to be on the show last week, in case you were wondering why there was no show last week, and I lost my internet Oops, and I didn't hit record. So, hey, wonderful. My my audio video guy is going to be like, what the hell happened, Laura, as he merges those two pieces again? <laughs> um, I lost my internet for a solid week. It just kept going up and down and then was completely out. And Joel, being the kind man that he is, said, not a problem, Laura. We'll make it happen. So we're doing it at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific time today versus my usual 11 a.m. But we're just going to have fun. And this lovely man at the other side of the screen who has the words Bradley Friedman as his name. Yes, because I'm on my daughter's computer. I told you it's crazy in the house today. So, so I'm I grabbed my daughter's computer. My wife that. was using mine. Yeah. All right. I am changing that to Joel. <laughs> I know you're I'll answer to any name actually. So Oh oh this could be fun. We can create new names for you. You can create names for me. I'd be more than happy. <laughs> and you were introduced to me by my dear, dear friend Dina Moskowitz, mm-hmm. who you guys have known forever. Correct. I, I'm just so excited that you're here because I love TV. I love movies. I love all of that stuff. And the changing world of media and the changing face of media, I feel has accelerated even more rapidly with COVID. And at the same time, it almost took a pause and the industry fascinates me because I don't understand it. <laughs> and you're in it. I mean, you're an executive producer. You're a writer. You know, I picture these writer rooms like the Dick Van Dyke show where the three of them were in their room bantering back and forth or some of the SNL kind of writing rooms where there's 20 people in the room and they're just throwing stuff out there. And that has to completely have changed due to COVID. Yeah. I mean, I guess on some level it has. I mean, every you know, the difference really is, is that it just becomes Zoom meetings. So, you know, whatever those writer rooms are just Zoom writer rooms, if that's the direction that the, the show is going in. Meaning like, you know, depending on what they're doing for COVID, you know, some people are still going into the office. Um, but it's it's the the premise is the same. And basically it's everybody gets into a room, everybody throws the ideas around. They're assigned to different writers, depending on who's writing, you know, which episode or whatever. So if you have 10, you have two people working on one episode, two people working on a different episode, because you have to be able to leapfrog, because sometimes you're in production while the show is on the air. Like, okay. you're not shooting all of them. So, I mean, it's a little different now with Netflix because you and some of the other streaming services, because you're putting together everything. You know, you're shooting an entire season, and then people can binge watch. Uh, But for the shows that are on network, sometimes you need to leapfrog. So you may be doing 10 
And while those are on the air, you're still shooting 10 more. So, I mean, that's kind of a little bit of the difference between the two. I, I always thought that whoever's job it was to do continuity has to be the most obsessive, compulsive person <laughs> in the world. It, especially when, you know, they're probably throwing page changes and this yeah. change and that changes at them constantly, yet they have to just know. Yeah. Wrong. It, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because it's continuity can literally or the changes can literally happen while you're shooting. So you could literally be in front of a studio audience, recognize that the scene that you just did is not working. Have your writers come over immediately and change whatever the lines are, you know, go away for 10 minutes and then come back with a completely different setup, you know, for the scene. Um, and that's one of the reasons why when you go to a taping, it takes such a long time. A lot of times people are just changing things on the fly. Wow. I've actually never been to a taping of a live show. Mm -hmm. um, I was on Wonderama when I was a little kid. Oh, my wife was on Wonderama. <laughs> Yeah, oh, wow. There's the I, connection. I, I was a little go-go dancer because I was oh, too young so to be on the show. But. Right. Was it like, uh, Bob McAllister? Was Bob McAllister. Bob McAllister. Wow, that's reaching. I just reached. Yeah, and and way back in the time machine. I was on Birthday House, too. Wow. Look at you. Yeah, but that, I mean, it was such a different world back then. Yeah. Of, of TV and, and media and stuff like that. I mean, Joel, how did you get into this business? Because what I've known of you since we've gotten to talk is this highly creative person who has passion for what you do, but all at the same time, which I don't always get from some other producer people I've talked to, feels that it's important even if it's reality TV versus scripted TV to hold some level of authenticity to your work. Correct. Um, well, how I got started really was as I, I was in New York and I was doing, um, I was doing, I was freelancing in advertising in copywriting and my creative, um, my creative juices were basically, you know, signed off to doing, you know, these commercials that were 15, 30 or 60 seconds. And sometimes I would create something that I thought was really, really funny um, or a character for a commercial for an ad that I thought was funny. And the fact that I couldn't take it further, you know, it was a one and done. It was a 15, 30 or 60, whatever, like I'm saying. And then uh, what am I supposed to do with these characters or the joke or whatever it is that I've created? And so I decided that I, I, I think I wanted to open myself up more. So literally just picked myself up and, and came to California and, and really started over. You know, I didn't go to advertising. I started as a production assistant. You know, so I went from the advertising world and creating commercials to, you know, basically lining garbage cans um, for the set and things like that, which was fine. I mean, it's, it's you know, you have okay. to do it and then moving my way up from there. And that's usually the way that you have to go about it. You, know, you got to put your time in. Um, and it just, I just got lucky. I was put on a show as a, as a PA, but more of an office PA as a set PA. Okay. And then while I was there, one of the producers uh, fell ill. She got sick. Um, they needed somebody to just kind of come in some of the segments that she was doing. And it was a reality show. Um, they asked me if I could handle it. I said, you know, I think I can give me a shot. And you know, the rest, I guess it's history because from there they just made me a segment producer and then I was able to go get jobs as a segment producer and then 
I started out as a writer. And so I was able to turn that into a writing job and then so on and so on became producer, executive producer and things like that. Um, the executive producer, the producer actually thing came, I was working on a show and the, um, I was working on a show and um, they wanted to send me to Vegas as a writer to help okay. the producers that were there. And what happened was, is when I, I said to the, I said to the executive producer, I said, there's no way anybody's going to listen to me. I'm just a writer. You know, I'm going to go down, they're going to make suggestions and they're going to, they're going to crap on me because that's what they do to writers. They said, I said, if you're going to send me, you literally, you have to give me some power. So I said, just, just call me a producer, let everybody know I'm producer. I mean, I don't have to do anything producery. I'll do the writing still, but I need people to at least listen to me on some level for trying to get something done. He said, yeah, sure. Okay. Made me a producer, got down there and, you know, I mean, the way to leverage it, that such a total New Yorker. <laughs> yes, I tried, but it was, you know, but the reality is it's really true. There's yeah. a, you know, there's a, a, there's a hierarchy that you have to listen to and follow on set. And, you know, that was one of them. And I just knew it's like, you know, if you really want to get this done, if I come down there and I start saying things, they're going to ask me, who the hell are you? You're just a writer. You know, we're the producers. And I felt that, you know, in order to get what was needed, because that's why they were sending me there, things right. weren't working. I was like, well, you just really have to put it in in those terms. Uh, and as I was saying, so nobody told the director. <laughs> so I got down there. He started screaming at me. And I said, just do me a favor. Just just call the EP, the executive producer, and they'll square it all the way. And they did. And so, you know, that's how it that's how it came to be. That. That's such an awesome story because whether it's in the TV world, the movie world, or in the business world, there are times you need to say, look, you're asking me to do something. I know you may say that I can just act like I have the power, but there is this preconceived notion of hierarchy, sort of like the military, you know what I mean? And if you don't have that fake authority, you know, mm -hmm. you need to have some credentials that set you apart that say, yes, this is somebody to be listened to. And we all know that there are these other people, right, that no matter what role they're in, they are leaders, no matter what. But when you're on a movie set or a TV set or certain crisis business situations, you, you need that hierarchy. But now in this world of streaming, media that anybody with a camera and iPhone can create content that sort of had to, has that thrown the world that you live in and work in up, you know, up in arms. I mean, has it completely changed the way you think about your everyday? Yeah. Good question. No, I, I don't. It, personally, it hasn't changed anything for me. I love seeing people, you know, using their creative minds to get things going. Because again, no matter how old you get, you're not too old to learn. And there are so many things that are coming up behind me that when I see, you know, kids, whatever, you know, young adults putting together all this stuff or doing things that are streaming or on YouTube, it's, it's different. It's new. And so I, I try to incorporate some, sometimes some of the things that I'm seeing in the things that I'm doing. So it hasn't really changed anything. It doesn't put anybody on notice. I mean, honestly, I just think there's enough room for everybody. 
And if, you know, YouTube all of a sudden becomes really hot, which they are, uh, then you start, you know, maybe when you're making up ideas or thinking of things that maybe in the past you would have said, nah, I got to throw it away. There's maybe not enough of an audience or whatever. You can now start thinking in terms of, oh, you know what, maybe I can bring it to YouTube. You know, maybe I can bring it to this streaming service that doesn't have the legs underneath them yet, but it'll give me an opportunity to put my creativity out there and put something out there. I mean, it's... Um, Seinfeld did comedians in cars getting coffee. Right. It was on, uh, what was it, on Sparkle, whatever. I forgot, Snapple or, uh, darn, I can't believe I can't remember the name. Um, Crackle, I think it was. Oh, right, uh, Crackle. I forgot about that one. <laughs> I think it was Crackle. Anyway, so, you know, it was, uh, you know, he did it for a few years. It was it's really, really successful, you know, for the clicks that he was getting. I mean, it was in the millions, in the millions and millions. All of a sudden, he's on Netflix now. It was a, it was a platform for him. And it went from there. And then all of a sudden, they were like, okay, let's bring it over to someplace else. And was, I think there's a funny story behind it because he went with that show literally to every network. And this was coming off of Seinfeld and nobody would buy it. He said, really? and he, wasn't, he wasn't saying it in an egotistical way, but he was like, I just came off of one of the greatest sitcoms of all time and they didn't trust me. Like, <laughs> what, you know, what, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And he literally had to go to Crackle because nobody else would pick it up. And so it just goes to show, you know, like, you know, you're only as good as your last, I guess, or whatever, but he's bringing something in and he's like, you know, I'm Seinfeld, damn it. I, I mean, I, I know what I'm doing. Still, nobody would pick it up because they just looked at him like, oh, you're going to be in a car drinking coffee. Eh. And so yeah, I just always found that really interesting that somebody of his ilk, you know, couldn't even get something on the air. I, I hear you say that, right? And you can tell by the fact I'm having trouble formulating the next question that I'm sort of blown away by that because it just sort of says, who's doing the thinking somewhere along the way? And do they get so boxed in on ideas because it's always worked for so long? So let's not shake the apple cart. Like it always seems like on a new season there's 10 shows about the same thing, like all the SEAL team stuff, all the FBI shows or the, you know, the NCIS shows, they all came out at the same time. And then by the end of the season, some of them don't come back because they just weren't done really well. But did every network have the exact same thought at the exact same time? I mean, it's kind of interesting, which is where the YouTubes and some of these other shows and Crackle with Seinfeld, they were innovating. Right. So you go and you pitch your shows to the networks and you hope that when you're sitting there with the development people that they get what you're talking about. But not all development people are creative. And again, none of this is a knock. It's just they, they may not have that, you know, creative outlook on things. And right. so you're pitching people that don't have that ability to look past it. And they don't look at it and say, oh, OK, it's Seinfeld. They just... You know, they're looking at the bottom line, maybe they're looking at the dollar and they're like, okay, well, how am I going to get people interested in a, in a comedian driving around in a, you know, it's his hobby. He loves cars and he's having coffee with other comedians. You know, they can't wrap their head around it. Whereas some executives and development people look at it and go, my God, it's Seinfeld. You know, the guy knows comedy. He's been doing it for years. He's going to bring all of his fantastic friends, which is also very difficult to do on network is get a lot of talent involved, but he can literally just pick up the phone and he gets whoever he wants. Right. And he's able to see past that. And, you know, that's the, that's the problem. 
you know, with uh, pitching shows. That's the problem with trying to create shows. You just never know what room you're walking into. You know, did the guy stub his toe this morning? Did the woman have a, you know, a, a bad morning, whatever it is? And that's the reason why they're saying no. You know, I've had pitches where I've gone in with a fully formed concept that I've been working on for six months. And literally within three minutes, they say, nah, do you have anything else? So you always have to have something behind it so that you, and that happened once. And literally I thought of an idea in the car. Um, and I just thinking about it. And I was like, oh, well then how about this? So the show that I was prepping for six months was a no-go. The show I thought about in the car on the ride over to the meeting, they picked up for, for a series. So, so when, when you're thinking about this pitching, I mean, this is something for, all of my listeners, whether they want to get on TV or turn their book to TV or have an idea for movies or whatever. I mean, it's sort of every business situation. You don't know what you're walking into when you're making a sales pitch, say. Correct. Or when like I'm about to interview you. I don't know if something happened just before we came on camera to throw you off, you know. Um, as you and I started talking today, I told you that at seven o'clock this morning, my dear friend Cheryl Lou had suddenly passed away and I was on a Zoom funeral to Singapore and it, you know, I started crying. But you, you, you have to somehow find some core to help you. But you're, you're in there pitching a lot and you're being pitched. I mean, what would be your tip, your, your process for not letting that so throw you off your game that you go, you know, we've all been there, that blah moment where you can't even think of a word to say. Right. Well, you go in really, really prepared and also prepared to know that there's a chance it's going to happen. So I will always walk in with three ideas. Um, it just so happened that the one I thought in the car was the one that, that they bought, but you go in with many ideas um, and you read the room. You know, sometimes you can walk into the room and you can read it right away and you may shift into Idea number two before you hit number one, even if they've known beforehand, you're going to pitch number one. Um, but you, you get used to it. You know, you get used to the when I go in, the most important thing for me is to make sure that I ask myself, what are the holes? What will they ask me that is going to be a hole? Because they want to say no. That's they, they really need to say no. I mean, the executives are judged on what they bring into the network. So if they do something poorly, they're going to get blamed. I think I once had mentioned this to you is that, you know, when you're a, the, the network likes buying things from people they know. Right. Because then they can go blame the talent. Oh, it's uh, so-and-so and they brought it and they did this. So it's not me. Whereas if you come in and you're not as well known, they're not going to, not going to give you as much rope in terms of, you know, whether we'll buy it or not. <laughs> Now you've done, you've done scripted, yes. Semi-scripted, yes. And is there anything really, truly non-scripted out there in in the world? And how do you? Is there a favorite medium of those that you like? Is there anything that's non-scripted? Because <clears throat> I personally think that every reality show in the world is scripted. So it's whether it's scripted extent. in the editing room or wherever it's scripted. Correct. You have to have on some level, 
some control over what's going on. Because if you're going to show up and you just think you're going to turn the cameras on, it just doesn't work that way. You have to know what storyline you want to go for, um, you know, what's going on in the people's lives. So you pick that apart beforehand. You know what it is and what topics you're going to want to discuss. And then you get in there knowing full well that the people that you're shooting with are aware of what the storyline is going to be, you know, for that week that you're shooting. Um, otherwise, you could literally be sitting there with your cameras on and you're paying crews and talent and you're not getting anything. So you have to ensure that you get it. Other shows, it's really deeply scripted in the sense you're going to say this, you're going to do that. And then you hope from that you get something else that comes out of it, you okay. know, depending on what show you're doing. Um, you know, I've, I've worked on, you know, documentaries, you know, reality shows, um, which is for me the hardest thing to do because you're right. asking, you're asking people that don't really act, you know, or, or maybe they're going to be comfortable in front of the camera, but there are nuances that sometimes they have to be taught. Um, so it's a little more difficult. Um, I do like hidden camera and I do like prank if it's not <laughs> malicious. It has to not be malicious for me. It has to be, it has to be all about the funny. Um, I so like the original candid camera with, what was it, Alan Funt? Alan Funt, right, right. It has to be, for me, it's not a lot about telling somebody they won a lottery and then all of a sudden you say that you have it. That's hurtful. Um, for me, it's just about making something, a scenario funny and that the individual that comes into the scenario appreciates it as much as you do. That they may not be in on the joke, but you're not doing anything other than putting them in a good light, but it's funny. Um, so, I, you know, I try to do that as, as much as I can. So I like that. I like it because it tests my ability to write because with any hidden camera or prank, you can only go so far because the mark, as we call them, or the person that doesn't know, you know, that's your punchline. So you're really just writing a lot of straight lines and okay. hoping that the individual walks into it the way that you have planned, utilizing what you think human nature will be uh, in order to get the desired effect. So, uh, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I find it the most challenging. I'll pat myself on the back when I'm like, yes, I knew they were going to do that. I had the script from them going down that way. Perfect. But you have to also have to tell your actors that, you know, you have to actually have to write two scenarios or three scenarios. If the mark goes down this road, because we still need a beginning, a middle, and an end, you have to follow them down that road. And we have to still know that we have to get to the middle and we have to get to the end so you can play, but we have to find a way to steer them back to what it is that we're trying to do. So I would imagine in that sense, you would really need to have a lot of trust in the talent that you're having be the straight man, the setup man for everything. Because at times you can't pre-script how they need to try to bring the other person around, even if you've got that microphone in the air saying, say this. That is exactly right. That's why, you know, a lot of times you'll see a lot of people working with the same people over and over again. Um, I tend to do the same thing with actors or actresses that I know um, get it and know how to, you know, so it's a, sh a shorthand. I don't have to worry. Yeah, I got enough to worry about when we're doing, let's say, a hidden camera or a prank show where, you know, you know, don't give it away. Be careful. What's this? You know, um, so there's enough stress 
that I don't want to have to stress on whether or not my actor can get me or actress can get me to the place that I need to, that I need to go, which is why we're pretty much rely on the same people. But when I find somebody that's, you know, new and uh, I love it, I just love finding new talent. So I, you know, I get a kick out of it. Where do you look for your new talent? Is it casting director? Yeah. Cast- okay. Yeah. Casting. I have a phenomenal casting director. Uh, she started in comedy. I think even in, I think maybe in college she, or after college, she learned with like Mike Nichols or something. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I, I'm always in my stuff. I'm always looking for ju- not just actors and actresses, but ones that can do improv, obviously, because they have to be able to think on a dime and we can give them as much as we want to give them in terms of what's going on. But at the end of the day, they have to speak and they have to guide and they have to make it funny and stay in character. So my favorite Mike Nichols was Spamalot on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I, I just imagined him and, you know, the folks from uh, Monty Python, you know, that putting together Spamalot and the wow. amazing cast that they had doing this show live. And I just went, I don't know how Mike Nichols held himself together right. to produce and, and such an amazing show. And, right. and that to me was, because I'm watching it from the audience and I'm almost peeing my pants because it was so brilliant. David Hyde Pierce, I mean, the amazing crew that was in it, the cast and watching, you know, some of the stuff that you've told me you've done, I had to rethink how I thought like reality TV because I've always looked very down on it Mm -hmm. because I watch some of these people. Like I remember the first year the bachelorette came out. Right. And I never really watched it, but occasionally, you know, you'd flip a channel, there's nothing else on and, and you'd see it. And it just seems so real. The first season of The Apprentice, it seemed like they really were trying to get a job. And then the next seasons, it seemed like the people who were selected were trying to get seen. Mm-hmm. They didn't care about the outcome of the show. They cared about being found and discovered so they would get some other Hollywood job. And I, I struggle with that. And I see that even with people, you know, like me, I'm, I'm now doing this show on camera. I was on broadcast radio for five years, right? It was just audio struggling to be found to get my show discovered. And now on video and I sit here and I'm going, Oh my God, I'm going to be on camera with Joel. (laughs) You know, the guy's the, the real deal, but I'm not looking to get, you know, another show, but how do you reconcile that as a producer, as a writer, when these, I don't even know if you can call them actors, um, seem to try to almost subvert the integrity of, of the show? Sure. I, I totally hope that makes it. sense. It does. You, first of all, you go with the flow. You know, if you if you recognize that somebody is putting themselves first or the reasons why they're there is different, then you just try to you sh- finish shooting and then you go on to something else knowing full well that you're going to have to fill a void. You could also fix a lot of things in editing. 
Um, and that's where the, you know, where the script stuff comes in, like you were talking about. If the scene or whatever we're shooting doesn't go well, we have to stop down and say, you know what, I think we need to do this again. Um, we will tell them that we think that you're, you know, posturing in front of the camera. We'll say something more to the effect like, uh, you know, we need another one for safety. Um, you know what, let's try this. Let's go in this direction. That was fantastic. Now let's try this. But you're, you're completely right. A lot of actors and actresses now are looking at, for many years now, as reality TV to either, you know, uh, kickstart their career, um, do something crazy that on the air that has a network notice them and give them something of their own. Um, that's just the way that it works. You just have to have, when you go in, for me, when I go in, I'm already really, really well aware of what it is that I want from that day. Okay. So if I don't get what I want from that day, as we're shooting it, I know that I need to readjust. And maybe I'm going to do it the next day I'm going to try to get something. Or maybe I'll just reshoot a scene if I need to. Um, but that's kind of how I go through it. Because as I'm watching it, because it's reality show, literally your cameras are on all the time. I'm editing as I'm watching. Like I'm thinking, and I'll turn to somebody and I'll be like, mark this down, mark this down, mark this down. Because I okay. know I want this, I need this, or I have an idea what I'm going to do with it. Um, so, you know, I try to stay one step ahead. If I'm not st one step ahead, at least that I don't fall behind. Is there a point where you have to draw the line or that you can't even draw a line? There is, is like, I read an article about the most recent episode, uh, season of The Bachelor, where the the bachelorette or something was already engaged to somebody, but she was still doing the show. And it's like, how do you, I, I think, is that Mark Burnett? I don't really, I don't follow Bachelor the show. Not Mark Burnett. Bachelor is uh, Mike Fleiss. Okay, Mike Fleiss. So, you know, you look at that and then you go, what do you do? And of course they took her off somehow and brought somebody else in, but I, how do you draw the line, Joel? I mean, to keep that, because your name is all over this, right? When you're Mike Fleiss or Mark Burnett, where you have a lot of success under your belt, you can make sure that you draw the line pretty quickly okay. into what needs to happen. Um, you know, that's really what it is. I mean, you really boils down. And, and honestly, um, you just have to draw the line. I mean, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but there's lots of money behind this. And you have to pull them aside and you have to say, listen, this is what we need. This is what we have to do. Um, and if not, eventually if it becomes too difficult. You've heard people getting thrown off shows. They get thrown off the show, you know? Um, at the end of the day, you want to make sure that it's successful somehow or another. So yeah, when it comes to talent, you hold the hammer as long as you can meaning you don't slam it down, but if it gets completely out of the norm and it's affecting what's going on, then you need to, you need to do something about it. You know, I had a, I got brought on, I won't mention the show. I was brought onto a show where talent was acting up and okay. the talent wasn't, wasn't showing up when everybody else was, let's put it that way. Okay. So let's say our call time was nine o'clock in the morning they wouldn't show up until 12, one o'clock. Oh, wow. And That's like huge. Right. So what were they going to do? So they asked me if I wouldn't mind going on as a consultant and figuring it out. So 
it was easy for me. I wasn't going to convince these two people to show up because they thought they were bigger than the show. So all I did was, is I gave a call sheet out to them, to this talent that said the normal amount of time, be there at nine. And I gave a call sheet to the rest of the crew that told them to show up at 12. <laughs> so every day they thought they were showing up late and actually we were just getting started. So I didn't waste the money for four, four or five hours of not shooting because you still have to pay everybody anyway. And it was like, okay, if you're not going to show up, I found that every time they told them to show up at nine, it was more of a, there's no way I'm going to do it because you're telling me to do it. Okay. So I was like, okay, so here you go. Nine o'clock, knowing full well, you have no issue with keeping everybody waiting. So everybody else will show up at 12, one o'clock and they never knew. And it was fine. And everything went fine. And we saved money. We were able to shoot <laughs> whatever days we wanted. You know, it was like, and everybody knew they were like, okay. I said, just show up at 12. They think it's, and they never came early. I mean, that's the weird thing. It, the call sheet was given to them to show up every day at 9 a.m. And they never showed up at night. They always show up at 12, one o'clock. So you play. Not very professional. No. But a power but, trip. Yeah. But you get that sometimes and you have to deal with it. And you can't, you know, act and run around and, you know, cause a stink and, you know, have a tantrum. You just have to understand that uh, some people deal with things that way. And if the major amounts of what you're doing is relying on them. You have to come up with a plan that works, especially because the show is very successful. So especially if the show is successful, because if you come back to the network and you say, eh, they wouldn't show up on time, they're like, well, figure it out. That's your job. You know, you have no, there's nothing else you can do. So we tried it and it worked. So everybody gets to sleep later. <laughs> Nobody had a problem. <laughs> no, there wasn't like we were shooting until, you know, midnight because of it no it's it was just all right so if they're not going to show up until this time we'll just work them really hard from 12 one o'clock until five six or seven o'clock and then it's fine and we'll be done so just changed our work day I, I love the way that you set that up right that you knew that you couldn't change this person, but you needed this person. It really wasn't the kind of thing that you can replace the talent in this case or wanted to replace the talent, but you figured out the person and you were able to adjust accordingly. That says a lot about you and the crew around you that they were just like, okay, we're going to go along with this and we're never going to tell the talent. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> because if you did, then the talent probably would have shown up at nine or thrown a hissy fit, you know? If that That's were. correct. I mean, I, I, I was able to benefit from the fact that they had shot already a few episodes. And so I was, I was able to come in after the fact. Okay. So I looked over all the things that were going on and I said, okay, let's try this. You know, would I have done the same thing if we were there? I probably would have gone a few weeks trying to get them to show up at nine or, you know, or, or right. whatever. But it was just so apparent that it was, you know, they had burned through a few producers already that were pulling their hair out. And so it was like, well, I, I don't want to pull my hair out. <laughs> I'm coming on as a consultant. I just, I want to do my job. I want to get paid. I don't want to have any agenda. Uh, but I will say that after that shoot, I quit smoking. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah, they made me, I was up to probably like that point I was up to, they made me go to through two packs a day just because wow. of the stress that was involved in trying to keep, you know, already, uh, kind of a rickety ship going. Um, so but as soon as I was done, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with them and I'm done with cigarettes. So 
I thank them for that. When you and I were talking, I don't know, the first or second time we, we got on a call together, you said something that really stood out to me that sort of fits with what we were just talking about. You said, I want to produce something that has legs. Mm. That stood out to me so much because I feel like that represents who you are as a person, that you don't want to just do a pop culture reference kind of thing. You don't want to just insert into pop culture, that you want something like, okay, let's just use Sound of Music, right? Or, um, oh God, I could think of so many, Casablanca, mm-hmm. you know, these amazing things that have lasted, the Dick Van Dyke Show, Mary Tyler Moore, right. Carol Burnett, things that are just in our consciousness, no matter how old we are. What does that mean to you? And how do you see yourself creating that for yourself? Something that has legs means that it's going to last for a while. If it lasts for a while and you really enjoy your characters, you have the ability then to kind of get deeper into what you want the characters to do. If it's a one and done, it's the same reason why for advertising was a 50, a 30, and a 60 second, and then you're done. You know, if you do a pilot, and I've done lots of pilots where series weren't picked up, a lot of times you create these characters that you really, really love, and then they're gone. So, you know, if you have legs, A, you're working regularly, and that's that's great. Um, Creatively, you have the ability to keep on creating characters, interesting, entertaining, funny, whatever it is that you're going for, and they become part of what you're doing. It's, it's exciting to wake up in the morning and to think, okay, what are we going to do today? You know, I know we have the script. I know what we're doing. How is this going to develop? How is it? The, the greatest feeling that I have is if I write something and I sit down at a table read or, you know, we're just sitting down with the actors, even if it's a reality thing and writing stuff for, for pranking or whatever, and just watching how everything develops in the room and then hearing you write it on the page but then hearing how the actors can take it to places that you didn't even realize Mm. that becomes part of legs it just becomes things that you all of a sudden you're sitting there in your third year and you're like oh i didn't realize we can go in that direction or that actor could do that or this character would do this because that's also what the writing room is about. People will make suggestions. Well, what if this character decides or, you know, we decide to go in this direction with it or we shake it up really immediately. So it really, for me, is important to have stuff that can last um, for the for the reasons that you mentioned. I mean, listen, I, I'm not going to pretend like it's not nice to make money. You know, the longer you go, the more that you, and, and in our industry, it goes away so fast. Now you can spend so much time on developing a show and you get, what, 10 episodes on Netflix and then you're gone? Oh, it, I hate that. It, I mean, it sounds great that you can sell a show, but you want to go three, four, or five years with something. Um, it's stability. We're all looking for stability. Um, and at the same time, if you can have stability and, and still produce creatively that fills you up, that's the key. And that's, that's the legs for me. You want it to last. Um, it's one of the reasons why I have a hard time pitching certain shows to niche networks, you know, because. What, what do you mean by niche networks? If I, if, I, if I do a cooking show okay. or a food show, I, I know there's going to be six or seven others that are almost exactly like it. So really, it's just throw the names of the shows in a hat and see who gets canceled and who gets picked up. Okay. Um, it's it's not stretching me. You know, it's great, again, for the wallet and all that other good stuff, but it's not filling me up creatively. 
And that's an issue for me. Did I What's, answer the question? Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, answered that that beautifully. And your genre that you that you've been working in is this whole reality idea of it. With a lot of those shows, the cast change except for like I don't know I'm trying to I've been researching reality shows like the real housewives the this the that um how does how do you find story in those shows because it's really the story that keeps people coming back to survivor to the bachelor to the amazing race um or, or other reality shows. I mean, I'm a big fan of HGTV, right? Uh -huh. But I don't want to know what happens behind the scene because I can only imagine they really don't make, the houses don't really look as perfect as they right. look on camera when they're done. So how do you find the stories in those? It's, it's cast. You know beforehand. You know, you sit down, if you want to call it the writer's room or with the producers. You, you know, first you're casting people that you know are going to give you a good story. So it's not like it's just like, oh, okay, let's just turn the camera on to these people. We, you know, you, you, you know, do a lot of research to find out who's going to work, you know, what characters are going to work. And then once they tell you what they're about, once you find out that there's interesting points to what they do, who they're married to, their children, their lifestyle, you then know in what direction that you can go in. And so it's not, there's a lot of research that's done beforehand, you know, and then when you go pitch a show like that, they've never met, sometimes they've never met people like that before. You have to bring like a little sizzle tape in, a little something where they can, you know, taste who the people are. And then you have to tell them, well, this one is having this and this one's doing that. And this one's story is this, and this one was married and now divorced, and, but the husband still lives in the house and da, da, da. I'm like, oh, wow, these are great story points. Can you shoot like 15 minutes for me so we can get just a taste of it? And you go and you shoot it, you bring it back to them and they decide whether or not they want to pick it up for a pilot, pick it up for a series and how it is. But you know a lot beforehand. You have to, who the characters are. Have you ever been in a situation where who you thought somebody was, was not who they actually were yes. when the cameras started rolling? Tell, yeah, talk to you know, me about it's that. It's not necessarily that. That's a great question because that hits home with something. Uh, uh, again, won't mention names, but I found this, this comedy group um phenomenally funny sketch comedy group um their lives outside of the sketch comedy was pretty interesting and so i wanted to do a show where we would do semi-scripted about okay. their lives but then also incorporate a lot of the sketch comedy into it and I remember I pitched it. Two networks were interested. They were bidding. I was like, fantastic. I brought them into the room. They were so funny. Unbelievable. And the first day on set, we turned the cameras on and nothing. Oh, nothing. They couldn't, they couldn't, they were great in sketch. They were great in being able to go two to five minutes on a sketch, but they couldn't do scenes that took them from point A to point B to point with the same concept, follow, you know, following through for 22 oh, minutes. Oh, wow. Um, and you could just see it without that sketch, without playing a character or something, they just couldn't perform. And we had a script, we had everything. It's just, 
they were so uncomfortable in their own skin in terms of, you know, not doing it in a sketch way because sketch is so different than acting. I mean, they're both the same thing, but there's just a different vibe involved. Could not, they could not find their way, you know, and I thought, okay, maybe it's just this scene. No, it was pretty much every scene that we did, you know, from then on. And they would complain like, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm, you know, and it was like, yeah, because you got to get out of your own head. You know, you got to get out of that sketch. You got to get out of that notion that this is how you do it. You know, it's not, you know, beat, 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 joke, beat, 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 joke. We're going to derive the comedy from your conversation. Um, and they just, they couldn't do it. So, yeah, it's a good question because I'll never forget that day when the camera went on and literally within two minutes, I was like, oh, I'm in a lot of trouble. Thank God it wasn't I'm, live. <laughs> I am so glad it wasn't live. I am so, I, but you know, the, the agita that came with that was after knowing that and then having to figure out what to do for the next few days, was there a way to, and we couldn't, there was just no way to change it because we needed them and we weren't going to teach them how to act in a week, you know, um, that would, that bothers me that, but that bothers me that I didn't recognize that, that I should have, I should have recognized it, but I just assumed because they were doing sketch and they were on camera that they could handle all of this. And I was wrong. I don't, I don't know how you could figure that out. I mean, is that something that you now know how to, look for because of that? Yeah. So what yeah. do you look for? I probably would have written something just to get a vibe for them in a room and said, you know, let's do this. Just let's play the scene out. Um, okay. And then would have recognized right then and there that maybe we need to go in a different direction. But okay. I, I assumed wrongfully that because their sketch was so good that they would be able to go and, um, act <laughs> i mean they act and sketch so i figured it shouldn't be so hard the, you know what it was also they were playing themselves or some self-deprecating okay. version of themselves but still it's still going to be some sort of a character um i just didn't realize then that the way that we would shoot it was just so much different than the way that they were accustomed to and what they were accustomed to they were really really good at but they weren't really, really good at anything else. Mm. I had a guest on my show in one of the first seasons that was an amazing speaker, right? Mm. But as soon as I got them on the radio and it was broadcast, right? But there was no video. They froze, you mm -hmm. know, just on the phone with them and they froze. And I was so glad that like my first season, I used to ask my guests to give me like seven questions about their topic. I rarely used them, but right. I felt it helped them sort of get their head in the game. Totally. And then if I got somebody who froze, I would throw them the question because I felt totally. like they knew how to answer that one. And then maybe I can get them a little more comfortable because it wasn't like I could reach across the studio because my guests were from all over the world. I couldn't reach across my desk in the studio. I mean, how do you tell somebody on the phone, hey, you there without embarrassing them? Right. So I guess it's the same kind of thing, if I'm understanding the concepts. Yeah, yeah. Right? It, it really is the same kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. Unless when I did a, I did a, 
So one of the prank shows that we did, the difference between a prank and hidden cameras, hidden cameras, hidden prank means the cameras are revealed. Um, okay. I like prank more than anything. Think of it in Borat terms or something like that. Um, I like incorporating real people into the comedy and seeing what we get from that. But if we were, I was doing a show that was like that and we set up cameras in our interview room. Like we brought the people in to try to decide who, because it was going to be one person that we were going to prank over the course of an entire episode. So it was going to be a long form. So how would we know how they would react on camera? So okay. we, did a, we did an interview. Like they thought they were coming for a certain job interview. We told them that we needed to have the camera in the room. It was just on sticks so that they can, um, we could just see how they look because we had to send it, whatever it was to a band, they had to see who it was. But we were able to, see how they would react once the camera got turned on. Okay. You know, and, that be, and it always resonated with me that always know beforehand. And and this was actually before I even did it with that other, with that other group. Um, that was just a different story, but we would always put them on camera first. Um, Cause why waste our time? You know, right. it's like, you know, you go to weddings sometimes and the camera comes on at the table when you're supposed to say, Hey, to the bride and groom. And you see people who are sitting at the table, like you were saying and talking all the time, all of a sudden the camera comes on, they're under the table. They don't know <laughs> what to say. <laughs> I can't do that when I'm on a budget and at a time frame. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a good point. That's, you know, we have to go and, you know, I, we just figured out that this would be the best way to do it. And it, it was, it, I remember even shooting in the network executive came over me and said, that person's an act, right? So no, we just, you know, if you build it, they'll come. So we just had to make sure that everything was in place and we knew exactly what we were getting when we went in there. So it worked out for us. Ugh. You know, you're, you're just such an inspiration and I'm so grateful for oh. Dina introducing us because, you know, you, you just lifted my mood today and I really want to thank you. Oh, I'm you so for happy that. to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and, you know, it's always nice to hear that New York accent again. <laughs> you know what? My, so when I get tired, it really comes out. So, um, yeah, it comes out when I'm tired. Yeah, I, I'm, I was born in Brooklyn, raised in the Bronx for the first three years, and then Yonkers. And I, I don't have the accent. Mm. Like people, they go, you're from this, the New York? Like yeah. New York, New York? Not like upstate New York? And yeah, it just never happened. But hearing it just makes me feel home even though I live in oh, Florida nice. now it's it's just a yeah. nice feeling I get that I miss New York I don't I mean I certainly don't miss it for the weather that's for sure or the COVID but you're or in LA well, which has yeah. COVID really Pre, really bad pre-COVID or post however but yeah. I just the energy is different yeah. I mean really I mean I'm I, I stay up really late at night used to be I could you know get up in New York City you know and go to a restaurant at three o'clock in the morning or a oh. bar Something is always open. And get really good food too. Yeah. Yeah. It was, un it's always unbelievable. It wasn't like, you know, I had to search or do whatever. It's just, yeah, there's always something going on in New York. Yeah. But again, the weather is just too much. Yeah. They're about to get a foot of snow today. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. I just saw that. It's like, and I'm sitting here and it's, it's beautiful outside. I mean, a little coolish, but coolish to me now, you know, somebody from New York, what are you talking about? Right. Forget about it. This is unbelievable. 70 so. is cool. What are you talking yeah, exactly. about? Wait, 68? <laughs> what are you bitching about? Uh, Joel, I want to give you an opportunity if you want to share how people can get in touch with you or anything that you're doing. What's next for you? Oh, so what's next for me? I don't know. I'm on pins and needles because with COVID, 
it's been really difficult to get your shows out there um, or have people hear what you want. Um, but I've been able to get stuff over to different networks and we've been waiting to hear. And that's the other thing. It's sometimes they reorganize. And so you gotta, whatever, it's just a whole thing. So, um, yeah, I'm on pins and needles. I got a whole bunch of shows that I'm, I'm waiting to hear on, but I'm not going to be able to do anything until the, hear anything until the beginning of the year. Cause once you get to, in our world, once you get to Thanksgiving, the town completely shuts down from Thanksgiving until the beginning of the new year. So, um, so I'm hoping I'm, I will definitely let you know if something pops. And if anybody want to get in touch with me, I mean, I have a long email. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody that has any questions. I always remember that when I was getting up there, I, I, I was starting to think of what it was that I wanted to do. And I met somebody um, who kind of guided me and it really helped out a lot just to understand the different, different twists and turns. So I could certainly give you my email address. That would be and, great. Go ahead, say it. Um, it's a long one. Um, it's Joel, J-O-E-L, at mustard, M-U-S-T-E-R-E-D, entertainment, dot me. M-E. Say it one more um, time. Uh, Joel at mustard, entertainment, dot me. Okay, great. And you're, I know you're on LinkedIn, so somebody- and I'm on LinkedIn. I usually answer my emails as opposed to viewing LinkedIn as much. I'm always on my email. Okay. So if something comes up and says, oh, I heard you on the show and blah, blah, blah. It's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Awesome. Last thought you want to hmm. leave my listeners with? Um, last thought. Just always, it's such a, the term is always used, but really push the envelope. I mean, there's just, there's really so much out there right now. Don't be afraid of it. Don't think that, oh, if I haven't seen it, no one's going to buy it. Or if I haven't seen it, what if somebody hasn't seen it, then you're probably on the right track because you've seen so much. So really, I mean, it's not like, oh, you know, run after your dream. It's just creatively. If you really think of something and you really think it's really, really good, don't be afraid of it. Just keep pushing it. Just keep pushing it because somebody, all you need is one just one person that sees it and understands it and then it can change everything for you. Mm. I would, I would add to that, that <clears throat> always hold your center of who you are, yeah. because that's something I've, I see in you and with everything you've talked about today is you may push, you may try to sell something that you have going that you're trying to pitch. There may be something going on on set, but I get, that for you holding that center of who you are and your integrity, no matter what you're pitching is more important than this is the th thing that everybody wants this year. Agreed. Sometimes you have to do things that everybody right. wants. Absolutely. Right. But you should always have the things that they've never seen before um, or things that you think are just unbelievable and go after it. So I agree with you. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much oh, for being pleasure. on the show. My and, pleasure. I had a great time. Oh, the questions were fantastic. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. And we'll let your daughter have her room back. <laughs> She's not getting it back. I'm going to make her wait. I've got peace and quiet for a few minutes. So, All right. So just <laughs> tell her that we're still on the yeah, air. I'm gonna tell we're still hang on. out there all you want. Exactly right. All right. Well, everybody, you know that for me, the joy of doing this show is to know that I'm introducing you to amazing people who can help you shift your perspectives, learn new things, because it's really 
Wisdom is meant to be shared. We don't have to recreate the wheel. Others have been there. And learning to me is a lifelong goal. I get so much out of talking to my guests, asking them questions, and I hope you do too. So please share out on social media here on the bottom. If you're watching this on the Facebook Live, please post your comments. And um, if there's a question to Joel and he's not hovering in social media, I will reach out to Joel and get the answer to your question. Or you can email him at joel at mustardentertainment.me, mustardentertainment.me. Because really, in life, it's all about the questions. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.